Welcome back, everyone, to Behind the Shield. I'm your host today, Marco Estrella. Thank you for joining us. If you've missed previous episodes, uh, such as our live show extravaganza last month, which was fantastic, we had Byron Akohito um, that joined us as a special guest, and it was a live taping of the show. So if, uh, if you've missed that, you can always uh, see previous shows on virtualguardian.com or where you subscribe to your favorite podcast. We're going to jump in real quick. Make sure we have plenty of time for our cybersecurity hot topics with Patrick and Bill and our sponsor and spotlight speaker, Amber Borgerson. I hope I said that correctly, Amber. Yeah, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> of IBM Security. I'm, Amber's from IBM Security and uh, more precisely uh, from the uh, QRadar product development team. After Hot Topics, uh, Amber will be regaling us with her talk titled Sim is Dead or Is It? And then we'll close out the agenda with the Q&A. Those joining us live today, get ready as usual to submit your questions to Amber and to the panel in the Zoom Q&A interface. So let's get started. I'll present my uh, cybersecurity panel of experts. First off, Patrick Naum, Virtual Guardian CEO. Patrick helps clients with solutions on how to defend themselves against all manner of cyber threats. Patrick, how's it going? Welcome back. Hi, everyone. Uh, next up, Bill Strube, co-founder of Navilogic, based out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Bill also helps clients with solutions to improve their cybersecurity posture. How's it going, Bill? Good, and thank you for everyone for joining Behind the Shield. And our spotlight speaker today, Amber Borgerson, has agreed to join our panel as well. Amber is a project manager project manager for IBM Security's threat management functionalities, the QRadar suite. Starting her career closest to the customer, Amber first worked as a cybersecurity technical specialist, providing strategy and support to telecoms and major sports leagues. Now in her role as project manager of QRadar Go-To-Market, she is focused on bringing cutting-edge security technology to customers. And Amber, we love QRadar here. Uh, it mentions here you've worked with major sport leagues. Which ones exactly? We have sports fans here on the panel. Ooh, hmm, shall I divulge? I, I probably can't say specifically which leagues in the uh -huh. sports, but I uh, really ran the gamut from wrestling, standard baseball, football, well, American football, uh, basketball, quite a few, quite a few. I learned a lot about uh, sports, I'll say, during that time in general. I usually was just the right. American football box and then uh -huh. wide world, <laughs> wide world of athletic activities out there. <laughs> nice, nice. Any, any activity with the NHL? We're big hockey fans up here in Canada. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Really I, I won't. I won't make you divulge any anything. I don't want. <laughs> just I don't want hockey, you to get you. Hockey leagues in general. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. I, hockey yeah. leagues in general. Very good. Very there good. Go, very good. There you go. How long have you worked with the uh, the Q Radar team? How long? Yeah. So uh, I. Well, how long have I been with the product? Probably uh, about five years now. And I always joke when I was in my uh, tech specialist role. It was really around helping customers understand and implement QRadar uh, SIM specifically. And I always joke with my buddies, I had all these opinions about the product, right? So I'd have all these opinions and I said, maybe I should go do something about that. So I uh, moved over to join the product team just over a year ago now. Um, and it's been really interesting being on the other side of it, right? Uh, getting to see how we prioritize feature sets, talking with customers, talking with beta customers for some of the exciting stuff we have coming out. Uh, here at the top of next year. So it's been really um, honestly exhilarating getting to be on that side of the house, uh, but ultimately just because I have opinions. <laughs> so I said, might as well go do something about them, right? Sure, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you for agreeing to joining the, the panel today, Amber. Uh, right, by the way, I, I had a note here. Um, Master Control gave me this. I don't know if everybody realizes this on the panel. Uh, our first behind the shield podcast was may 19th 2022 oh, so it was in may i thought it was later one year anniversary wow. it's a one year anniversary <laughs> tomorrow and uh it's just not the, the 12th episode because we always we take a break in the summertime we take a month off so it's our 11th episode 
But if you take the calendar date, it's uh, tomorrow to the day is 365 days. So uh, I guess happy birthday. Correct. <laughs> the balloons are dropping My... behind me. You can't tell with the virtual screen, but there, there's confetti and balloons I behind said, me. Yeah, and cake, cake uh, will I be will served. Try. I have to remember this because it's my grandma's birthday tomorrow. So oh, well, there you go. I'll associate it with buying the shield. All so. right. All right. Okay. So let's jump into the hot topic segment, shall we? Um, let's start with uh, Bill. Bill, you uh, you submitted a lot of um, topics. Um, you wanted to talk about a lot of things, but you wanted to focus on a partic particular tr threat to the uh, U.S. power grid. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what that was about? Well, actually, I, I apologize. So I've, I've I shared prior to this that it's been quite a week. So uh, on the hot topic side, I'm, I'm prepared to talk about uh, the Cisco iOS vulnerabilities. So I apologize for switching hot topics live on you. So, sure, okay. Um, but we're, we're going to go with uh, Cisco iOS vulnerabilities that... Um, that's why they're hot. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think the reason that this particular one caught my attention was um, one... Uh, it, it is a. It, it came from APT28 or, or uh, Cozy Bear. It's a, a well-known Russian attack group uh, or, or uh, uh, Russian uh, set of bad actors. Um, but it also got my attention because these vulnerabilities are over six years old. So it's uh, it's one of those things where I'm I'm always a little bit surprised when I see uh, six-year-old vulnerabilities making the news. Um, uh, for those who don't know, I, I did spend two years at a vulnerability management company. So uh, as you go through the last 11 episodes of Behind the Shield, you'll probably pick up a theme that uh, I'm, I'm big about attack service management. So uh, everything that we can possibly do to make sure that we look at uh, vulnerabilities and patching and making sure that we put our known, uh, pardon me, our known environment in a good position to, um, to address vulnerabilities, I'm, I'm all about it. But uh, this particular attack, um, I said, was again uh, Russian-based actors. Uh, they deployed malware using SNMP version two, which is an unencrypted uh, simple network management protocol. Um, and what they were able to do is uh, exploit weak or well-known or open uh, public strings for SNMP. And with that, they were able to do a buffer overflow to insert malware that could collect uh, information regarding that particular device and then actually send that information out using TFTP um, to, uh, to their, their host servers where they can collect and keep that information. And it also gave them backdoor access to these particular devices. So basically unauthenticated access to these routers uh, for future use that could be used for a number of different things. Um, the malware itself is called Jaguar Tooth. And the original CVE was published in 2017. Um, and it's it's a, on a CVE score, it's an 8.8. .8, so it's a critical vulnerability that needs to be addressed by everybody. Uh, I, I guess I bring it up because um, looking back at my time when I did work for a, a vulnerability management organization, I was engaged with a lot of different clients looking at their overall infrastructure. One of the areas that were often neglected was the actual uh, core, core infrastructure that doesn't change much. Most people, once they get their routers and switches set up, it's stable, it's working, it's functional. Oftentimes it goes into the back end and they don't continue to think about how do we keep this infrastructure secure because they don't want to miss with, mess with something that's already working. And so, um, I think it's just a reminder that when we look at threat and vulnerability management, we have to look at all aspects of our infrastructure. We have to make sure that um, that we have to patch, which might mean that we have to pay for the Cisco contracts or uh, I'm not picking on anyone, but SonicWall had similar vulnerabilities not long ago. Uh, Fortinet had some vulnerabilities not long ago. We need to make sure that those contracts stay in place. We, uh, we do the best that we possibly can to uh, protect the infrastructure. And then also we have to have other complementary tools that um, they can look for things like uh, unknown SSH uh, connections that shouldn't be coming in or TFTP sessions going outbound. Those are all indicators of compromise. So um, that's why this particular vulnerability caught my eye and, and uh, thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, what's your, uh, what's your let's say, two or three top uh, go-to uh, attack surface uh, reduction uh, go-tos? 
Uh, I mean, number one is scan and patch. Scan and patch. <laughs> number two and number three as well. Yeah, probably number two and number three. I, I think uh, beyond scan and patch, number one is actually making sure you understand your attack surface. So discovery, making sure you know what your devices are. Um, and that's not always by just trusting your vulnerability scanner, because oftentimes uh, network-based vulnerability scanning will only see a portion of your environment because they do have a hard time scanning through um, uh, routers or any devices that have ACLs in place, things along those lines. So number one is discover, make sure you know your environment, and then scan and patch. And also, you know, we talk about attack surface management. We all know now that we have as many attack surfaces as employees in our companies with people working uh, remotely. Uh, so that's also extended the attack surface over the last few years. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we get into the EDR uh, conversation, I guess, with all those people all over the place who want to protect their endpoints. Well, SSE, SASE as well, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. and this ETNs also have to be reviewed. Yeah, and this goes into to cloud as well. I think the other component when we talk about our attack surface is... Um, a lot of people don't understand their cloud infrastructure. So make sure you understand what those assets are in cloud as well. And, uh, and don't ignore those, uh, those components. And maybe going on to number four, or number five is with, uh, with cloud providers, make sure you know it's a, a shared responsibility for security. They're not gonna make sure that everything's secure for you. That's, that's part of our responsibility as practitioners. Absolutely. I'm curious, I won't divulge my number first. I'll, I'll ask for your number. In your uh, experience, and I'll and I'll throw the question to all three panelists. How what's the number uh, on uh, what's the percentage of companies organizations that have a up to date asset list when you meet them for the first time? I'll let our guests go first. Sure, ladies first. Go ahead, Amber. If we're, if, if we're talking in percentages. I'd say now what they think is different than sometimes what we discover after working with them, right? So I'd say um, teams so more often than not are more confident than they should be, sitting somewhere at like 80, 85%. Uh, but I see it's, it's, it won't go as low as 50, but usually I'd say around 60%. It's difficult. Um, and to be sometimes the, uh, the entity that helps them realize that or I'm there with the teams as they were pulling everybody into the room and kind of having those conversations. Um, but I'd say oftentimes more confident than, uh, than it turns out to be is my general. Oh, so 50, Agreed. 50%. Yeah. Pat, I'm not, I'm not going to venture a number, but what I will say is that even if you, you take an organization today, that's a hundred percent and covered and we have all their assets, well, tomorrow morning, they're going to be out of coverage, mm -hmm. right? Because we forget it's a continuous process. The environment changes, yeah. you acquire companies, you onboard new people, uh, you deploy new applications on it. You, just upgrading an application as well changes the nature of that application. So even if you cover and update everyone, if you have total visibility today, you do not have total visibility right. tomorrow. And people forget that as well. Yeah. Yeah. My number was going to be for people who actually understand their entire tax surface, I was going to say it's it's really close to 0%. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bill, Bill, I am with you. I am with you, Bill. This no, is Bill, my... okay, but Bill, when you have these conversations, what are you, are you seeing as much confidence as I'm seeing, or is it? Oh, people the think that my role when I come in. I think people will tell you that they know that there's blind spots, and they feel as though that they know a large percentage of their network, but that yeah. what they know and actually have coverage and visibility into are two different conversations. So. Yeah. I, I agree that people think that they know somewhere between 50 and 80% of their environment, but the actuality is, as far as where there's blind spots, almost 100% of folks have blind spots in their environment that they're absolutely uh, unaware of. Yeah, and, and you don't, that, that doesn't even count, you know, all the downloads uh, and, and new applications or cloud-based applications that people download unbeknownst to their IT departments or even the security departments, right? So. That's another area where, you know, we ran audits. I remember, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, and, and we scanned just the external, the applications that had external flows. And 
literally, uh, you would ask the IT department and, uh, and security, and they would inventory maybe, I don't know, 20, 30, 30 apps for the whole organization. And this is a relatively sizable organization. Turned out there was over 200 different applications run. Yeah. Well, now we also have to think about all of our remote workers and what's running at their house that have access to those same systems. And so it, it just continues to expand. Yeah. The more and more we go to uh, remote work, cloud, um, continue to install, uh, allow people to have admin access. It, Marco, do you have another question? I mean, <laughs> what is your objective here? Protect yourself from the growing threat of ransomware attacks with Virtual Guardian. Keep your sensitive data secure, identify vulnerabilities ahead of time, and know that Virtual Guardian is focused on your security. So you can focus on what really matters, growing your business. At the intersection of people, process, and technology, we're guarding your critical mass, achieving digital resilience, and protecting what matters most. Virtual Guardian, unmatched security expertise, fueled by trust. No, I, I just, I, I, it's really, I'm not going to say irritating It's because that's the wrong word. It's just that, um, you know, uh, working with the SOC, uh, working with the, the SOC for so long, being close to our SOC for so long, uh, always trying to determine what the scoping of the monitoring is, not wanting to forget anything. Customers are never ready. So they, 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 they take their time, they review the service, they like the service, they like what we have to offer. And then when it's time to go, it says, okay, let's, let's take this glass uh, bubble, put it on top of your scope. Everything that's under this glass bubble is going to be monitored. And, and we can't, we have trouble getting a list of what's going to go under that bubble. It's never, it's, uh, it's, it's something that's been difficult. Yeah, so I that's why I wanted to bring you guys on that topic. I wanted to hear what you had to say. I'm, I'm I'm glad Bill said close to zero because I felt bad when Amber said 50. I was like, wow, she she's talking to maybe some <laughs> banks or she's talking, talking to, to some biased people, right? That's what I'm saying. I was like, Bill, you got to uh, tell me your point of view. And, and you yeah, notice yeah. why I didn't mention any numbers, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah know. That's the politician in you, Pat. But okay, all right. Uh, we're going to move on to the next topic. That was great. Thank you very much. Uh, speaking of politics. Yeah. Speaking of politics, of course. Um, where is it? Where is it? Here we go. Here we go. Uh, Patrick, you did some heavy homework. You're next up. You did some heavy homework for us and our audience this month. You read the uh, UCAM. UCAM is the Quebec University in Montreal. That's actually my alma mater. Oh, uh, I didn't you, know that. You read the 2023 report yes. on the geopolitical cyber incidents in which Canada is involved. So the um, it's the uh, Raoul Dandurand chair, which is a very respected research chair here in Quebec. Um, and they, they did this 30 page report. You read it for us and you wanted to highlight some points. So please go ahead. Thanks, Marco. Yeah, so I came this uh, the, across this report because it brings a different view of, of, of cybersecurity um, or I would say bad actors, right? And we're hearing, uh, I'm sensing that we're all mixing up geopolitical, you know, state-backed actors uh, or bad actors with the criminals. They're really two di distinct things. And that's what I'm going to try to to uh, to convey here. Uh, it, it was a report in French uh, that was written in French. So it's actually from the Chair of Strategic and Diplomatic Studies. And they had a committee. Um, it's the Observatory for Multidimensional Conflict. So they're looking at this through a global view of geopolitical, with geopolitical ramifications. Um, I'll just state what, uh, and I'm going to be reading this, you know, the, 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 the mission of this little uh, observatory. Canadian and international researchers studying the changing power strategies that international actors, especially state actors, deploy on the international stage to destabilize states, undermine their societies, institutions, and political processes, or damage critical systems and infrastructure. And as well, more recently, information manipulation or propaganda, cyber attacks and geoeconomic uh, offensives with obviously espionage. So this is the framework with which these guys uh, operate and, and do research. You know, so for years, we've been trying to fight, fight back criminals and I fight, fight off criminals, right, in terms of you know, random hackers, some of them, you know, like you look at ransomware as a service now, the ability to consume tools, 
to extort people, launch attacks. You know, it was accelerated with crypto, right? The anonymization of, of, of payments. Um, we also forget about business email compromise, which is a continuous source of fraud. And, and, and a lot of, actually, there's more money being lost by enterprises by BC than ransomware. Ransomware is a big splash, big attacks that, you know, bring companies to their knees. But in terms of the amount of dollars, BC is still, uh, still up there. But it turns out it's the tip of the iceberg. Because when you think about this and you look at what's happening on, in the world today, it's one thing to be a hacker, a bad actor, consuming tools, working out of your basement, or being you know, part of a unit collaborating. But when it's state-backed hacking, you've know, you got to stop and think about what that means. It means unlimited funds. It means access to unlimited research and development. It also means uh, immunity to criminals. So if you look at what the Wagner Group has done in, in Russia um, with the war in Ukraine, they've actually emptied the prisons to send those guys through the Wagner Group to the front in Ukraine. Well, it's the same with the cyber criminals today. They're, they're actually uh, you know, providing immunity to the top Russian hackers uh, you know, and bringing them on board uh, to, to, you know, to, to battle as well. So, you know, it's not from yesterday that geopolitical warfare started in cybersecurity. You look at the attack uh, when, when, uh, on Georgia from the Russians, you know, the, the attack that a cyber war before entering, uh, you know, Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandals trying to influence U.S. elections in 2016 and Brexit. We forget about Brexit, but it was the first target from, for, the, for the Russians. So that was just the beginning. Now, if you look at recently with the economic struggles we're having, uh, you know, with the pandemic, with Ukraine, China, North Korea trying to, to, to make moves on the international uh, on the international basis, they're all state sponsored uh, attacks. And what attracted my attention as well is, is the fact that, you know, you would think governments are the prime targets of all these attacks, but they are not. It's actually 50 percent. 50% of the, the targets are private enterprise. Where? Aerospace, defense, mining, uh, and energy infrastructures, right? So if you look at just in Canada, and this report focused on Canada, eight major incidents just last year. January, World Affairs Canada was attacked by the Russians the moment our, our defense, sorry, the, our uh, international relations ministry, minister Melanie Jolie went to Kiev. We were attacked the next day. Uh, in April, we had Iran attacking uh, the energy uh, companies in the energy sector. June, we had uh, the Chinese that attacked Appia Rare, Earth and, uh, Rare Earths and Uranium Corporation because they're vying for domination in terms of mining. In May, we had CMC Electronics, which was part of uh, new programs to for more defense spending and in, in modernizing our helicopter fleet for the Canadian Army. Uh, they were attacked by Russians, and the list goes on. There's like, you know, in, in, in the interest of time, we have the other trend we're seeing is um, NGOs as well that are being attacked, right? So Amnesty International was attacked in Canada, and mainly because of, uh, you know, foreign inter interference to try to neutralize them or understand where they're going to be striking next in terms of any uh, demonstrations or any, uh, you know, public relations events. And in October, we had the Canadian Parliament being attacked. So this is like continuous on a continuous basis and more and more public. If you look at the time between 2010 and 2022, 60% of the attacks were based on cyber espionage. If you look at what's gone on last year, it came down by 20% to 40%, but those numbers went in favor of manipulation of information. And that's the next front is the, and then they called it in the article, uh, massive destabilization weapon. And that's when you have to enter AI in the equation, right? Deep fakes, manipulation of information, yeah. Yeah. propaganda. Um, I was reading uh, an article this morning in The Economist, uh, Henry Kitzinger, which I thought was deceased. So uh, pardon me. He's turning 100 years old. He was a state secretary for Nixon all the way up. And he was saying that uh, AI is, is literally like the printing press. When the printing press first launched, there was obviously printing the Bible, books, and good information. 
and other information, but also used as a propaganda weapon. And people were starting to write, you know, all sorts of theories about everything. And wars started because of uh, information that was printed. So AI is kind of the same when you think about it. Fast forward to today, and, and the AIs can eventually generate those types of situations, especially in the hands of bad actors or bad states. So we're in for, for a rough time. If you add the um, geopolitical sphere to what we, we live every day with, you know, bad actors and criminals, I call them petty criminals now after you hear, you know, all these things that have gone on. So that's, that's really what attracted my attention. I mean, just this year in February, there was a, a, a deep fake. We had our prime minister being interviewed by Joe Rogan. I don't know if you, you saw or heard about that. And it took a while for people to realize it wasn't true. And then you got uh, Drake and, and other uh, artists that appear, you know, on Spotify with these songs and that did not even uh, did not even create. So so we're moving on to a next level where geopolitical warfare will increase substantially based on AI. So it's important for us to to be mindful of that. And when we look at protecting our, our environments, our organizations, these vectors have to be taken into consideration, especially with organizations that are very close to critical infrastructure and economic uh, considerations as well. And and you're talking about a 20, you know, stuff from 2022, but even this year, our, our pipeline was attacked um, allegedly by Russia, the prime minister's office, the prime minister's website, the Senate's website here in Canada. And this was all in the last couple of months, right? Yeah, and, and if you look at, you know, there's a lot of actors, but if, on, on the top of the list, if I look at the, you know, percentage-wise, uh, the countries that are, so China's in the first place, then you have Russia, Iran, North Korea. But right. what they're saying is that because of AI, you're going to have other countries that are going to be jumping in and attacking and doing all sorts of uh, creating havoc as well, because it's democratizing um you know, the, the tools are helping, you know, lower the barrier of entry for, 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 for yeah. bad actors. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to have other countries jumping in the fray. So they're saying that 2023, I know we're well engaged in May here uh, on 2023, but it, it'll be the year of, of geopolitical cyber attacks based on AI. The number one challenge facing companies of all sizes and across all industries isn't a specific kind of attack. It's the depth and breadth of cybersecurity resources required to monitor, prevent, and respond to attacks against their business. Companies need help. They need expertise, they need technical capabilities, and they need a partner they can trust. Virtual Guardian has been a trusted provider of cybersecurity guidance and solutions for more than 25 years. If you're facing mounting challenges in both technical knowledge and human ingenuity, partner with Virtual Guardian to protect your business. Full stop. Visit us today at virtualguardian.com. Bill, Amber, any comments on, on this that you would like to add? Or I think that the, the barrier to entry is definitely lower. Uh, the fact that uh, AI can help write code as well as malicious code uh, helps with Phishing campaigns, uh, very good translation from one language to another. Um, it's it's really hard to make sure that um, that what you're looking at was created by a person versus a bot or uh, an artificial intelligence machine learning uh, tool. And so, I, I, like all tools, you know, can be used for good. They can be used for bad. Um, and I think that we're going to be dealing with that for a very long time. So. I think for me, what stands out the most is this, we talk about this a lot at, at IBM in general, but the idea of upskilling based off of AI becoming a more and more greater part of the pictures. I mean, the printing press example is, is a great one of that. Prior to that, you had scribes, printing press comes around, but you need to train people to operate the printing press. And so I think what we're going to see is a shift in both how tools are built, how teams are using those newer tools to adjust to being able to detect things like deep fakes and things that look real, that come and look, sound, come from real data. And it's, it's only going to get more and more tough. But what that means is that tools are going to get upskilled and teams are going to have to be upskilled. So 
Um, it's a natural evolution, I think, on both the offensive side and the defensive side we'll be seeing. All right. Well, thank you, panel, for your insight. That was uh, good. Nice, hot topics. Uh, we're going to move on to our spotlight speaker now, Amber Borgerson. Um, as mentioned earlier, Amber is project manager on the Curator team. And just before you get into your spotlight talk, for those folks listening in and don't know what Curator is, can you just give us the little 60 second pitch there on that product? That's the easiest question all day. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, yeah, Curator Sim, I think um, I usually boil it down to a few words. Pro it's proactive threat detection and analysis. So it, it is a SIM tool, but at the end of the day, it's about finding threats and analyzing threats in a way uh, that's proactive instead of reactive. And we do that by assessing data in real time and taking advantage of uh, specific ML models, uh, our corpus of knowledge used to train our AI specifically for cybersecurity to help accelerate the detection of uh, standard threats and more modern threats. Um, and then I usually like to throw a little asterisk on there that uh, something that we do well, and is actually the history of where we started, is the inclusion of network behavior of, of flows in that analysis, um, in addition to traditional logs and events. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. So Amber, you have a talk called Sim is Dead or Is It? So for the next 15 minutes, Amber, the floor is yours and um, the cameras are going to shut off. And then when we come back, that'll signal about uh, that you have a minute left. Okay. So take, it, take it away. Cool. All right. So, you know, I was positioned to have a topic to talk about. And I thought, let's take some time to talk about something I hear, I'd say, uh, or it becomes reappearing in the market maybe every two to three years and it's this idea that that sim is going away that sim is a legacy product that sim is dead and ultimately if you were to ask my opinion which i get 15 minutes here to do uh you know my short answer would be no but it depends ultimately on how the asker of that question is it dead really defines sim so over Time. I mean, there's been a, so many different iterations of different definitions of what a SIM is for, what it's supposed to do, what makes a good SIM. And in my opinion, each one has has had its time and place. But I've I personally have had the benefit of being relatively green to the space when it comes to like compared to many of my friends and my colleagues, um, both in the security space, specifically around the threat detection and the threat remediation space. But it's allowed me to observe the history, if you will, in a very analytical way uh, and be enabled on trends of what was hyped, what ended up being worth the hype, what ended up not necessarily being worth the hype um, in a really non-biased way um, because I wasn't biased by experience or attachment to a particular product or feature, right? So um, looking back, I'd say around like the 2000, the early aughts, 2001, 2003, um, during that time period, this idea of SIM versus SEM kind of started to become a louder and louder conversation. So SIM versus SEM, if you will, but essentially this idea of, of using logs as long-term storage and retroactive analysis versus real-time streaming, um, and uh, particularly with an a focus on using some of that network behavior as well. Um, and I think around like 2003, 2005, the tail end of those first five years, we started to see a merge. And I think, don't fact check me on this, but I'm pretty sure Gartner likes to claim at least that they were the ones that merged this idea of SIM and SEM to bring us SIEM scheme. Um, and I think that's definition, both the inclusion of retroactive and long-term of, of long-term stored data as well as real-time data uh, is a lot more aligned to what we see as the baseline for sim today um, but something that i've i've heard over the past i'd say more recent years past two two three years is this idea that um, the sim disparagers of the world right uh, i'd say that they say sim is a compliance tool and I'll, I'll be the first to say that SIM was around a long time before any of these formal compliance requirements uh, existed even. And 
that's not to say that SIM doesn't absolutely help with compliance and is a critical tool um, in ensuring retroactive uh, proof of compliance or even with uh, working really closely with SOAR teams to prove that during um, a live remediation process. Um, but I would say that SIM is far from being only for compliance. So we've seen it kind of evolve from just ingest data and show me some things around the data to proving compliance to entire government entities that I, even IBM, right, has what we believe is our own definition of what makes a SIM a SIM. And I'd say, I, obviously, <laughs> I'm biased to that, but because I really believe in uh, what we define as a SIM being um, the best utilization of the roots of SIM uh, being applied in a modern context. And I think I want to share with the team here kind of the, a small, short, I'll keep it short, but history of where Radar SIM actually started. Um, I think it's something that sets us apart and is a little bit different than a lot of our, our friends um, in the space. And you know, back in 2001, in the Q1 Labs days, now this is pre-IBM Blue, right? This is pre-Blue, pre-IBM. Q1 Labs, uh, the tool that we now know has eventually evolved into QRadar SIM, actually started uh, as an NBAD, which I don't think I've heard anyone use that acronym in <laughs> quite some time. It's a really antiquated acronym, but Network Behavior Anomaly Detection, right? So breaking down normal versus abnormal behavior across the network. So as opposed to, I'd say, uh, most traditional SIMs, QRadar SIM didn't start in the logging space. Um, we actually started in the networking space. And that was back in 2001, founded right around the time that this conversation of SIM versus SEM was happening. And we saw Q1 Labs start to grow and evolve and get uh, really, really powerful at what they did with network behavior. And ultimately, that's when IBM started to take notice. And in 2012 is when IBM acquired Q1 Labs and brought us, you know, said, hey, what they're doing here with network behavior is really special. What would happen if we applied the same things we're doing with network behavior to log analytics? And thus, essentially, the QRadar SIM as we know it today uh, was born. But I think it's really special um, and really important that uh, we started in the networking space. Because at the end of the day, logs will always be important. Event, events will always be critical to threat detection um, and threat analysis. But if I'm a mad, bad actor, right, and I, I get into a system that's, that's compromised, one of the first things that I'm gonna wanna do is turn off logging or go in and make some changes if I'm able to, which I am. But today, now I usually ask this with, who knows what's gonna happen when quantum starts to become a little more consumable. Um, and more widely available how the applications of quantum are a whole other topic right but as of today that same turning off of or editing retroactively of logs cannot be applied to flows to network information so there's a lot of good critical information um, that this isn't this isn't my saying but i stole this from another podcast that i like to reuse and say is that flows don't lie that network behavior doesn't lie so there's a, it's just really critical information that logs are something like a still picture image of a moment in time, whereas network behavior would give you information more like a video. So at the end of the day, it's all to say, you know, we, not every one of our curators and customers is using network behavior, uh, but I'd say a majority of them are, and it's because it's something that is uh, and has been part of our history and therefore intentional, not an afterthought, but ultimately. Network behavior is key to our history of real-time threat analysis. So this brings back uh, to what I start, kind of started here with is IBM's definition of what makes a SIM a SIM. And including good data like network behavior is part of it. And the biggest part of it, I'd say, of what makes our SIM more than a log management tool more than a security, even a security-focused log management tool, or even a, a security-focused data lake is this idea of real-time threat analysis. Now, since I'm here as Amber, right, and not officially as, as IBM, I'll say real-time, but 
sometimes legal likes to joke we can't say real time. So I'll say near real time, right? But ultimately the idea of streaming data and streaming analysis versus search-based analytics, which don't get me wrong, search-based analytics, I do believe have a very appropriate time and place when it comes to threat analysis. But at the end of the day, you know, we ask ourselves, how do I build a search if I don't always know what I'm looking for? So there are some vendors out there and, and us as well, actually, that build really powerful search that you can schedule in very small increments of time to run every now and then um, or to run every 30 seconds. But what it really comes down to is that question, right? Even if I have a search, if I have an intention to run a search every 30 seconds, that search has to be built first. And I need to make sure that I understand what I'm looking for in order to build the search, which isn't always the case in today's threat landscape. So ultimately, this idea of uh, streaming analysis versus search-based analysis is really core to IBM's definition of a SIM. And I think for my opinion, at the end of the day, how I would define a SIM, to take us back to Jason Dead, um, I would say that SIM does not necessarily equal a type of tool or a column of tools in an offering suite. But I'd say that the mission of SIM is what those four letters actually stand for, security, information, and event management. Meaning this idea of ingesting real-time and historical data for threat identification analysis by whatever means with whatever vendor in whatever style that's what SIM is to me, is that mission of using that data for this purpose to help us achieve the goal of ultimately a safer environment. Um, but the mission, this task, I don't see that going away. So, you know, SIM going away anytime soon, perhaps as the idea of a type of tool, I think SIM will evolve. But for what those four letters actually stand for, for what the mission is when you use a SIM, I don't see those going away anytime soon. For as long as organizations have data that somebody out there wants to use for manipulation, for profit, for geopolitical reasons, there will be a need to find, analyze, and remediate potential threats from all of these bad guys out there, right? In fact, this idea that SIM is dead, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning, um, but it's not even a new proposition, right? There's people have been claiming this and reclaiming this phrase itself, actually, as far back as 2011, 2012, kind of at, even at the peak of SIM's hype cycle. It's not necessarily a new notion that SIM is dead. But I think the reason it keeps getting brought up, this phrase keeps getting reused, or the idea of a, a SIMless stock is mentioned, is that. There's a notion in the market for that for as many new tools are released, exciting new tools even, um, and the evolution of some tools, they have to negate the, the legacy, I'll say in strong air quotes here, the legacy tools, which, as an aside, this, this idea of legacy tools always cracks me up because it seems to be used negatively but the word itself is actually really positive in connotation, right? This tools that have lasted throughout a period of time with extended value provide a legacy, but that, that's a whole other thing. So I, all to say that this sim is dead phrasing, I find is often used not in, not in a way that is, is valid around the value of sim decreasing, but more so as a means of creating excitement and comparison to new tools that come on the market. And I think a, a great example of this actually is uh, with EDR. We talked a little bit about EDR earlier in our hot topic session, but I think when EDR started to come into the market really strongly, like 2012, 2013, there were people that said, SIM is dead, EDR is where it's at. You need to be able to have a great understanding of uh, if you're, excuse me, if you have a great understanding of every endpoint in your environment, you will have more confidence and be able to achieve what you do with SIM. And I think, you know, a few years later down the line, almost, ooh, almost a decade, actually, uh, we know that that 
statement now is almost absurd. <laughs> um, but rather than saying, you know, EDR is onto the scene, STEM is dead, why not take advantage of tools that are focused on endpoint? Why not take advantage of the great remediation and automation capabilities that many EDR tools offer today in conjunction with STEM? So I think this idea of comparison is uh, not necessarily beneficial to uh, many of our customers out there and, and not beneficial to the market. What we should see is look at the purpose of each of these types of tools and the new tools that we see coming on the market. What are these tools providing speciality in that perhaps a SIM does not provide speciality in, but how can we use the overarching goal of SIM to find, analyze, and use historical and real-time data to do that? How can we use these tools in conjunction to get us ultimately to a better place of finding things faster or preventing things, right? But if I were to wrap things up here, I'd say essentially SIM is nowhere from dead. At the end of the day, if I wanted to get technical about it, I would say that SIM is at the end or near the end of its hype cycle. And specifically, I'm not sure if you all are familiar with the, the variations of the stages of the hype cycle, but the last two in the hype cycle are the, the slope of enlightenment and the plateau of productivity, plateau of productivity being the final. And in my opinion, SIM sits right on the edge of verging into that final stage of the hype cycle where you know value, true value has been realized and actual evolution can happen um, without creating a lot of unnecessary noise. And that's where SIM is at with evolutions that in what we're trying to achieve in that space, um, not inflating expectations at the peak of inflated expectations, uh, which is another stage of the hype cycle. But I would say that's what I'm comfortable saying, that SIM is nowhere from dead, but I would agree that it's near the end of its hype cycle and we'll be seeing the evolution of it in things like CDIR, which is become a quick threat detection and incidence response merging what we have always considered as separate columns of the threat detection process, finding, fixing, and remediating, blurring those lines within a single tool or a single platform, I think we'll start to see more and more. But I think my answer, hopefully you all know by now, my answer is no. Are you struggling with the agility required to keep up with today's security threats? Are you wondering how you can empower teams to be most effective and what obstacles you have to securely remove to do so? Solsys is the trusted advisor you've been looking for. We're a leading security products and services provider that leverages agile methods to support. We build great product teams, combining agile methods with security expertise to offer unique business value for your enterprise. To learn more how we can deliver faster and better value to customers, contact us at info at solstice.ca and check out our website at solstice.ca. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. That was great. I can listen to you talk for uh, for hours. That It's like one of my favorite topics, cybersecurity topics. And uh, you, you kind of alluded it and I wanted to, I have a question already uh, for you and it's pertaining to the evolution of SIM you said you said uh, there's an acronym there with the incident response in there. What, what was it? CDIR. CDIR. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Threat detection incident response. So you're seeing SIM transform to TDIR, add TDIR, become TDIR. What, what exactly? Yeah, I think you know. In my opinion, the the past few years, it seems like. Anytime you anyone was asked about the evolution of SIM, the answer was always this move to SaaS. That you know we're moving away from teams managing it, managing their actual infrastructure. We're, we're moving away from teams having to use hardware boxes, and that was the big trend of SaaS. I think that's actually that's a whole other thing. I think I, I've seen a big counterculture movement actually over the past few years of the move to cloud and the backing away from cloud. So when I get asked the question of where, what do I see the evolution of SIM? What do I think is the biggest evolution that will come with SIM now? I, I think it's not SaaS, which is maybe a hot take. I think it's this idea that tools that we know as traditional SIM, SOAR, EDR even, 
will become less and less separate and you'll start to see a little bit of sore functionality in SIMS, or you'll start to see a little bit of that find and analyze functionality in SORS. And we'll move more towards a platform approach, whatever that's called, whatever acronym the, the market comes up with, right? But I think PDIR is what I find to be closest aligned with what I see happening. Um, and that's, I mean, a, an example of that would be like seeing re recommended remediation actions in a tool like a SIM down to the specific artifact with an alert or whatever your tool calls mm -hmm. an alert. Um, but that's, yeah, that's what I see. And it's not SAS. I hear SAS a lot. But and paper I, I got a question for you. We, we've yep. got clients that use uh, a traditional SIM product and then mm -hmm. what I'll call non-traditional SIMs uh, like Microsoft Sentinel and so on. And they're not actually making connections between those two. They're actually querying those two different um, uh, sources, almost like you would two different completely autonomous yeah. systems. Are you seeing more people trying to figure out what is the best way to optimize SIM technology and how do they take advantage of things like Microsoft, um, Sentinel and so on? Yeah, if you, if you had asked me four years ago, do people have multiple sims i'd say in very specific scenarios but i i say most people would be shocked at how many small and enterprise organizations have traditional or non-traditional or even two traditional sims for whatever reason it is an ela with a particular company or a specific investment in let's say a particular uh, cloud investor um and i think what I've seen, and maybe this is a biased approach because IBM's approach to solve this is to provide options for things like federated search to take advantage of disparate systems, but not have to charge for egress ingest charge or um, elevating the telemetry that can be used in initial SIM uh, analysis. And what I mean by that is, I, I always use this analogy when I discuss about this, but SIMs traditionally take in raw ingredients, like taking in sugar, flour, uh, butter to, to bake a cookie, a cookie being the output, an alert. Uh, for Curator SIM today, that's called an event. But something that we are working on and what I'm seeing more patterns of in the market is ingesting, yes, still those, those raw ingredients to bake something interesting, but taking in the cookie, taking in a cupcake, taking in something and combining it into something that has higher telemetry. So to put it in cybersecurity terms, what I mean is ingesting outputs of traditional SIMs, ingesting alerts from Defender, from Curator SIM as we know it today, from uh, EDR alerts that already have a lot of great telemetry in the alert itself, and then correlating on that rather than only sticking to the raw ingredients. So something that we're doing, and you know, I've, I've been hinting at this, but I'll explicitly say it, we're, IBM is working on the next generation of what is Curator SIM today. Um, and it's, it's a very exciting time. It's been several years in the making and we're basically at that last 95%. So we're set to GA early next year is probably what legal won't slap me on the wrist for saying. Um, but that's exactly what we're looking at doing is taking in higher value inputs to produce higher value outputs, essentially. And that looks like ingesting from multiple SIMs. Was that announced at the RSA, what you just said, or no? It was. So, well, it was It was technically. So without boring everybody with the, uh, the specificity of phrasing in our press release, um, we GA'd our new Curator Suite, which is a SaaS at first offering. I, again, always get slapped for saying SaaS first. SaaS at first, meaning um, all of our tools within the suite, that's EDR, uh, SOAR, eventually SIM, and a net new law, security log management tool, which I kind of think of as the baby brother to our SIM, um, will all be deployed or will all be available initially SaaS, at, uh, SaaS at first offering specifically on AWS. And then um, as we modernize, we'll continue to 
uh, spread to other cloud providers as well as on-premise customers. Because um, we have a that's a whole other topic we can get into too, you guys. Is this like I mentioned this move, this anti-cloud movement that I feel I've, there's a bunch of stuff I've been seeing on Reddit and all this kind of stuff. But um, we did announce, but the three out of the four products we announced as available for purchase: EDR, SOAR. Uh, and Log Insights, our log management tool. And then SIM had the asterisk that we announced our intention to release. So our next generation SIM is not available for purchase yet. However, it is available for beta. So if there's any customers out there that are interested in providing their feedback, um, we're always welcome to hear it. But it's very exciting times. I wish I could say more. I wish I could show more too. That's really the thing that gets me. I get so excited about what we're doing. And then we have customers calling with, XYZ challenge. And I, I want to say, I can show you right now how we're, how we're solving that in the next six months, but uh, we got to wait until GA. Exciting stuff yeah, though. Exciting have stuff. to be patient. Patience. The good things come to those who wait. So they uh, say. Yes, so they that's say. what they say. Uh, <laughs> a quick one. A yes. quick one for you. Um, is there a competitor out there that you would give props to for something in particular? I think Microsoft has done a really good job at building what they say they're going to build in terms of their security portfolio. For the length of time they've been in the space compared to a lot of the other competitors and a lot of the hype that they created, I've been very impressed with the execution and of those promises. Okay, very good. Well, thank you very much for your spotlight talk, for your answers. We're nearing the end of the show. I want to slip in two little quick little things. Patrick, 30 seconds. Montana banning TikTok for its residents. You got 30 seconds. Go. Well, let's keep keep rolling. Keep, keep rolling. <laughs> keep keep political banning. Patrick. Political Patrick. I had to shoot political Patrick <laughs> the, the political question. So no no opinion? Good, bad, thumbs up, thumbs good. down? Good. good. Okay. Thumbs, coming. Up, thumbs up. Okay, very good. Mr. Strube. Um you actually did some uh, little, a little activity for us. Chat on application, the Chat GPT app. You downloaded mm -hmm. it. You you played with it for a couple of days. You had three days. I've actually even paid for it. You paid? Oh, you had the forty five dollars for the year. Uh, I'll, by the by the way, it's not bill that we're seeing. There's a little hack. It's not forty five dollars. If you decide not to buy it, you uninstall it. You go back. It became thirty nine ninety nine. Oh, well, there you go. No way. <laughs> He's like an in-the-field reporter, this guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So any thumbs up, thumbs down? Good you know, it's, it's like having uh, ChatGPT, but in your pocket, always with you. But I, I played with it more, having the camera accessible at all times. So you can have it take a snapshot of an equation that you might be stuck on or want to translate a document. Um an equation uh, is that is that the real bill we're seeing here is or is it an ai generated? no it's, it's, it's me it's a deep, it's a deep fake it's, a deep it's, fake, not, like, yeah. it's not like yeah, senator yeah. blumenthal uh earlier this week no it's this is me um you know you can snap something and say do a summary uh of a particular document uh hopefully there's no account executives but you can say how do we best engage our clients in an email um, you know, the, there's all different things available still within the app. And I think that it's, uh, again, a, a tool that can do some really good. I'm, I'm planning a international trip. I'm sure I'm going to use it for translation. Uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. sure. uh, the, the dealer, the dealer is showing eight and I have 16. Should I hit or should I stay? Right. Is that what you're asking? That's right. That's right. <laughs> we probably Well, and you know, Bill, <laughs> if you're traveling, I've heard you ask. I would challenge you actually ask for an itinerary for wherever you're it. going. What is there you go? It, it was pretty good. Uh, we're uh, we're going to Iceland, and so it didn't give me any itineraries that included any F roads, which are their off road um, or you know, like a super jeep type vehicle to get there. Uh, didn't give me anything that uh, that would get me in trouble, but we still want to do some hiking, so it didn't give anything really that most tourists. If you're, if you're a standard tourist in Iceland, you're going to get the, a, a good itinerary. If you want off the beaten path, maybe not. Okay, very good. Well, listen, we're, we're up against the time, the clock. Thank you very much again, Amber, Patrick, Bill. Um, thank you for your participation. Thanks, Amber. Thank you, thank IBM you. Security. Amber, it was a really good talk. 
um, and our, our panelists, our usual panelists, thank you very much. If you've missed any part of today's uh, podcast, the show will be made available sometime next week. Look out for the link. It's going to be on uh, all the podcast services. Um, and thanks again for your support, for listening in. And as always, remember, when you're behind the shield, you're ahead of the game. Take care, everybody. Thank you.